Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And thank you for the opportunity to sing to you and sing about you and hear about you and learn more about you and grow more in you. I pray that you would speak to us now through your word as you've spoken to us through music. I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight. That you would communicate today in grace, in love, in humility, in power, in confidence for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Question. How many of you have ever gotten overconfident? I got this. I can do this. I'm amazing. How many of you know somebody who's overconfident? Yeah, I got husbands and wives both raising their hands. Not about each other, right? Okay. Uh, We see that on the national stage, do we not? Political leaders. um, We see it with football teams get overconfident, get upset. We see it with rock stars and rap stars and movie stars and all kinds of people on the national scene. We also see it locally. We probably all know some people that tend to be overconfident, prideful, arrogant, think they're better than everybody else is. They always think they're the smartest person in the room. They always think they know things that nobody else knows and uh, Sometimes it's a little difficult to be around people like that, is it not? Well, today's sermon is about a very overconfident, prideful, arrogant man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a king, not just a king, he was the king of the most powerful nation in all the earth. Humanly speaking, if anyone had a reason to be very confident, it would be him. But confidence, when we don't recognize that without God, we wouldn't even have the ability to think or to do or to work or to serve, is is not a good thing. It's great to be confident knowing that God has given us gifts and abilities and the Holy Spirit inside of us, amen, as Christians. But Nebuchadnezzar is filled with himself. We see it, first of all, in Daniel chapter 3, where Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue. It's 90 feet tall. Many scholars believe that the statue was to a pagan god. However, the majority perhaps believe that Nebuchadnezzar is building a statue to himself. And he calls all of the people there to worship this statue, to bow down and worship it. And everybody does except for three people. You might remember who they are. Say it with me if you know them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Very good. You get an A today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down. They refused to bow down to that statue, to that idol. 
And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't bow down, you're going to be thrown into a furnace of fire. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, okay, bring it on. In essence, they said, the God that we serve is able to deliver us, O king. But even if he does not, we will not bow down to your idol. We're not doing it. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down. And Nebuchadnezzar says, we'll see about that. And so he throws them into this furnace of fire. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as you remember the story, the true story, they are in this furnace, literally, it's been turned up seven times hotter than normal, but they're doing just fine. They're just chilling there in this furnace of fire. Can you imagine that? Somebody tells King Nebuchadnezzar, says, those boys that you threw into the furnace, they're alive and they're doing well. Nebuchadnezzar comes over to see it for himself, and he sees not three people, but four. And the fourth man looks like even the Son of God. Now, he has no clue about who the Son of God is, but it's like there's a fourth guy there, and he doesn't look like uh, the other three. There's something about him. And Nebuchadnezzar has a moment of humility and says, there's no other God who can do that but your God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The problem was his humility didn't last very long. You get to the very next chapter, Daniel chapter 4, and God warns Nebuchadnezzar in a dream and says, you're going to be humbled. You're going to be made to be like a wild animal, literally. If you do not humble yourself and repent of your selfishness and your sin. And I think it got Nebuchadnezzar's attention for a while. However, it did not last very long. And that's where we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 4. God has warned Nebuchadnezzar through this dream, but Nebuchadnezzar is not repenting. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says here in Daniel chapter 4, verse 29. As the king, that's King Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my name? Nebuchadnezzar says, in essence, look at me. I am amazing. Look at what I did. Look at my mighty power and my majesty. Now, from a human perspective, Nebuchadnezzar was a great man. He was a powerful king, the most powerful king in all the world. Perhaps one of the greatest kings of all time. He was a great builder. His building projects were astounding, legendary. The problem was... Nebuchadnezzar did not give glory to God who gave him the ability to do it in the first place. Listen, I believe God can do great things through you. I can believe God can do great things through your family. I believe God can do great things through this church. I believe he wants to do that. The problem is when we begin patting ourselves on the back and thinking it's us. When ultimately, you could not even get out of bed in the morning if it wasn't for God giving you the ability to do so. And God is about to humble 
Nebuchadnezzar in a way like he's never been humble before. Nebuchadnezzar says, look at me, look at what I've built, look at what I've done, look at my mighty power. Go to verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, the scripture is emphatic here, God is making it clear, while Nebuchadnezzar is in the very act of bragging on himself, there could be no doubt of the connection between the crime and the punishment. While Nebuchadnezzar is in the very act of bragging on himself, a voice came from heaven and declared, This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. Not only would Nebuchadnezzar live with the wild animals, he would live like the wild animals. Verse 33 tells us that immediately, while the words were still coming out of Nebuchadnezzar's mouth, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and began eating grass like the ox. How many of you have ever done that? Now, I've had a few blades of grass in my time, okay, just playing football or playing baseball out in the outfield, just kind of bored out there. But, but I've never made it a meal. How about you? This is what he's doing. He is eating grass like a wild animal or a domestic ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. The guy looks like a wild man. And he is. He cannot reason after God has humbled him here. What is said about Nebuchadnezzar's condition here is probably something called zoanthropy. Say it with me. Zoanthropy. Sounds like what it is. Zoanthropy is a psychological disorder in which a person thinks they become an animal and they behave accordingly. No palace coup was needed. Nebuchadnezzar's sudden insanity has left him mentally incapacitated. The king has lost his mind here, literally, roaming around like a wild animal. Verse 32 continues. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The word seven can indicate completeness. We aren't sure how long this lasted. Others say the word times refers to years. Since Nebuchadnezzar was told that seven times would pass until he recovered, he was insane for seven years. We don't know for sure how long it lasted, but we do know it was for a while, and it was all because of Nebuchadnezzar's stubborn pride. Listen, God loves humility, and he hates arrogance. And there are plenty of verses in the Bible to remind us of that. 
Jeremiah 9.23 says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, but let him who boasts boast about the Lord, that he understands and knows me, that I exercise kindness, justice, and righteousness on all the earth. Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride comes before a destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Luke 14.11, Jesus said, he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Romans 12.3 says, let no one think of himself more highly than he should. James 4.6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How many of you want to be somebody that God opposes? Not me. The Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to whom? To the humble the greatest example of humility of all is whom? Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 verses 3 and following says, Don't do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind, consider others. Say others with me. Others is more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. And he continues here in verse 5, Philippians chapter 2. He says your attitude should be like the attitude of Jesus Christ. Even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. But he humbled himself as a servant, even to the point of dying on the cross for your sin and mine. Praise God. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that good news? Jesus Christ humbled himself for you that you might have eternal life with him forever and ever in heaven. Go to verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Did you notice when his sanity was restored? When he raised his eyes toward heaven. When he got his focus off of himself, and he put his focus on the Lord God. Some of you may be sitting here this morning thinking, my life is crazy. My life's a mess. I'm trying to do my own thing. I'm trying to run my own life my own way. To be honest, I've made a mess out of it. Let me encourage you to put your eyes on God. Put your eyes on Jesus Christ. Let him guide you. Let him empower you. Don't let him just be a part of your life. Allow him to be the Lord of your life, the center of your life, the one who fills your life moment by moment and day by day. The first thing Nebuchadnezzar did was raise his eyes toward heaven. Now watch what he does next. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then he said, I praise the El Elyon. That's our word that we're looking at today. We're going through this study called the names of God. The name that we're looking at today is El Elyon. The most 
high God. The transcendent one. The all-powerful one. The one who is elevated above all creation. The emphasis is on God's strength, God's supremacy, God's sovereignty. He is a God who is greater than us. And he's other than us. There is a God, and you're not him. I think that'd make a good t-shirt. How about you? What happens here to Nebuchadnezzar is an example of what can happen to people when they forget that our God is the most high God. Thankfully, King Nebuchadnezzar would turn from his sin, from his arrogance, and from his pride, and he would be restored. And because he saw how God restored him, he is praising God. And he's not done praising yet. Verse 34 continues. Nebuchadnezzar said, Then I praise the Most High, El Elyon, the Most High God. I honored and glorified whom? Him, right? Who lives, how long? Forever. And his dominion is what? An eternal dominion. It never stops. He keeps going and going. This was written some 2,600 years ago. It's still going. God's still in charge. Do you believe that? He always has been in charge. He always will be in charge. He is the eternal God. Do you believe that? Anybody with me today? Hello? Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate that. His kingdom continues, endures from generation to generation. Question. Is there anybody here in the room today that's under 30 years old? All right. Uh, John, you're not. Just want to let you know that. He's kind of not sure. All right. Raise your hand high if you're under 30. All right. I got several of you. Okay. Anybody here between the ages of 30 and 60? A lot of you. How about over 60? Yeah. A lot of us too, right? Guess what? God is the God of every generation. Younger, more middle-aged, older. God is God for every generation, is he not? One of the things I love about Northside is we have different generations even in the same family that attend church here together. Isn't that great? I love that. Some of you have children and grandchildren who are part of this church. Isn't that amazing? A lot of you sitting on the back row back there, yeah. Isn't that good? I love that. You know, several months ago, uh, our music search committee met with uh, Bubba Stewart. Anybody here know who Bubba Stewart is? He is the state music director for Kentucky. And uh, he was talking about what are we looking for in somebody to lead worship and what's our worship style like. By the way, I think Tristan does a great job for us in our room. Amen? Thank you. But anyway, he says, what kind of music style do you do? And we said, well, we're, we're kind of blended. And he said, that's not the term anymore. He said, it's called intergenerational. So... The music that we do is for all ages, okay, for all people, from all kinds of backgrounds. That's why we do hymns, and that's why we do contemporary music, because we want to be intergenerational. We want to reach out to all ages and stages of life, because our God 
He's an intergenerational God, is he not? He loves the old people, like me. He loves the young people, like you. He loves all of us. And Jesus died for all of us so that we might have a personal relationship with him. If we're willing to turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ, we can live with him forever and ever and ever. And that's good news, is it not? And if you've never given your life to Christ, today is your day to recognize that there's a Savior who loves you. There's a Savior who died for you. And if you're willing to turn from your sin and humble yourself before him, and give your life to him. You can live with him forever and ever. Amen? Nebuchadnezzar continues to say as he praises God, all the inhabitants of the earth are regarded as nothing. I don't care who they are. I don't care what their status is. I don't care what their position is. I don't care how much money they have. God says... That compared to him, everybody else put together is like nothing. He is the holy, great, all-powerful one. And even King Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that here. Have you recognized that? Ultimately, he is God. He is the ultimate authority. Verse 35 continues. He... That's our most high God. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is the ultimate authority. Not you, not me, not all of us put together. Did you know every single person in America could agree on a law? I don't know that that could happen, but let's say theoretically it did. If God says it's wrong, it's still wrong. If everybody in the entire world says, this is the way that you should live, and God says it's not, who's right? Who's wrong? God is. He is the ultimate authority. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not the ultimate authority. Some of you kids enjoyed saying that to your parents, didn't you? Yeah. Now, God put your parents in your life for a reason, okay? But ultimately, God is the authority, is he not? Absolutely. Go to verse 36. At the same time that my sanity was restored, some of you may need your sanity restored today. So I know, yeah, that's me, okay? Nebuchadnezzar goes on. My honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake in the Gospels, you can find it in Christ. You can find purpose. You can find hope. You can find meaning as you follow Christ with your life. When God starts blessing you, whether that's material or physical, or emotional or spiritual, make sure you remember where your blessing came from. I'm not talking name and claim in here. I'm talking attitude. Question, how thankful are you? Turn to your neighbor and ask them, how thankful are you? 
How thankful are you? How many of you woke up this morning saying, thank God I get to get up and go to church today? Thank you, Brother Glenn. How many of you woke up this morning thinking, oh, man, I've got to get up and go to church this morning? How many of you, when you wake up in the morning, you think, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Or how many of you say, well, this is the mess that Susie made or Billy made or Johnny made. I got to deal with that. You see, it's easy. The natural tendency for most of us, and I would say for me, is to think about stuff that we don't like. Rather than thanking God for his blessings toward us. Amen? Think about this. Let's suppose that someone were in a horrible accident at 10 years of age. They're paralyzed from the neck down. They live another 75 years in a nursing home, not able to even get up out of bed for 75 years. But they know Jesus. And one day they're going to go and be with him forever and ever in heaven. And you have another person who is a billionaire, kind of arrogant. But man, they got money and their wife is beautiful and their kids are amazing and they live to be 100 and everybody thinks they're wonderful and they never have a, a trouble, a problem, a heartache or a care. But they don't know Jesus And one day, they're going to die and go to hell. Which one would you rather be? I'd rather not be either. But if I had to be one, I'd rather be the person in the nursing home for 75 years. And one day be with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. In a place where there are no more needs for nursing homes or funeral homes or hospitals. There are no more broken homes. All will be perfect there than to split hell wide open. And be separated from God for all of eternity. How about you? If you got nothing else to thank God for, you got that. And if you don't have that. Don't leave here today without knowing that Jesus Christ died for you. That you might live with him forever. It's going to be totally amazing. And you're going to be with Jesus. And you're going to be with family. And it's going to be incredible. But not only that, he says, I'll be with you in the here and now. To the ups and the downs and the good and the bad and the heartaches and the headaches and the struggles and the frustrations. I'll walk with you through that. I won't leave you. I won't fail you. I won't forsake you. I'll be with you through every circumstance that you may face. Listen, Thanksgiving also increases your faith. Did you know that? Think about that. When you're whining and you're complaining and you're ungrateful, how great is your faith? Probably not much, is it? There's a good example in the Old Testament. Remember the people of Israel when Moses led them out of Egypt 
on their way to the promised land? Were they thanking Moses for coming? Were they thanking God for delivering them? Were they saying, man, this is awesome? They weren't doing that, were they? They're whining, they're complaining, they're groaning, they're belly aching the whole time. Every time something comes up, why did you lead us out here? Why didn't we just die on the back in Egypt? Why this? Why that? Remember that? What happened when they got up the doorstep of the promised land? You're going to send us in there? We're going to die. We're not going. And so they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years because their ingratitude destroyed their faith. Let me encourage you to be a person of thanksgiving, a person of gratitude, a person of faith. We're almost done. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he's able to humble. Isn't that incredible? A pagan king, one of the most arrogant people on the planet, a man whom from a human perspective had reason to be proud but he humbles himself before the Most High God, and God restores his sanity. I don't know what God's going to do for you, but I do know this. Anywhere with God is better than anywhere else without him. Do you believe that? The psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of the wicked. Listen, following Jesus does not mean that you'll never have a bad day, okay? I got people in this room who I know are going through tough times. Following Jesus does not mean you'll never have a bad day. But following Jesus does mean this. He'll walk with you through the middle of it. He'll give you strength. He'll give you guidance. He'll give you help. He'll give you hope to walk with him moment by moment and day by day. And anywhere with him, praise God, is better than anywhere else without him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, your compassion. Thank you for your love. Thank you that we have the privilege of knowing you. And I pray, Lord, for anybody in this room today who may not know what it means to know you. May today be your day. God is speaking to you this morning. He's calling you. Give your life to him. For somebody else, God might be calling you to be thankful be humble before him. For somebody else, God might be leading you to join this church as we go on mission to reach our community beyond with things like trunk or treat and affordable Christmas and other things that we do in our community and throughout the world. But whatever God's saying to you, won't you say yes to him? It starts by recognizing who he is. He is God. And you're not. And I'm not. He is the ultimate authority. Place your faith.
trust, your doubts, your fears, your hopes in him. Whatever God is saying to you today, say yes. You might even want to say yes before you even know what he's going to tell you to do. He doesn't give you guidance just for information. He gives guidance so that you might follow and obey. Father, please move in this invitation. Help us to say yes to the Holy Spirit of God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. As we stand and sing together, you respond.